I remember first time I realized, all right, you got to get it together. You know, my boyfriend woke me up. I was face down in a parking lot. I had, you know, the thing was me was I could drink a lot and kind of hide it, you know, and, and seem like, oh, no, I only had a, I would kind of do it to look like I had the same drink in my hand all night, um, which was most definitely not the case. I remember telling them, I was like, oh, I'm leaving. And uh, everyone thought I was fine. I was completely not okay. And, and, you know, I remember him waking me up. I was like, set face down in the parking lot. He just said, what are you, what are you doing? Holix.com, in partnership with Heart Support and the Global Recovery Initiatives Foundation, is proud to present High Notes, a podcast about addiction and recovery in the music industry. I'm your host, James Shotwell. My guest this episode is Morgan Wade. Morgan is a singer-songwriter from America whose debut album, Reckless, is available now through Lady Killer Records. Morgan is one of those songwriters who is able to paint you a picture of a life fully lived. When you hear her songs, you get to know the real her and her struggles with alcoholism and relationships and becoming the person that she always wanted to be and the sacrifices that required. Morgan talks about all of that in this episode of the show, but when we connect over the phone, the very first thing I have to know is how long she's been sober. And to my surprise, She's about to celebrate a pretty big anniversary. I have been sober. It'll be four years, uh, June 17th. It's good. I'm, I'm glad. I'm always grateful to, you know, have another day of, of sobriety because it's, I feel like getting to the four-year point, it's been like long enough that, you know, obviously I'm used to being sober in a way, even though I don't think you can ever really be used to that. But I'm also mm-hmm. at that point where it's like, am I a different person now? Could I drink? Even though I know that that is not true. I guess all sober people go through that, but I'm just super grateful to be coming up on that four-year mark and still be sober. Morgan is right. When you're getting sober, it's common to have visions of yourself doing the thing that you're trying to avoid. I'm not exactly sure why this happens, and I'm sure that there are studies on it, but if I had to take a guess, it's probably because we spend so much time trying to not do something that our brains cannot help but wonder, what if? Yes. Yeah. I, I, that typically when I end up, I had one of those dreams the other night where, you know, I relapse. I never wake up feeling good about that. I always wake up being like, oh, okay, it was just a dream and it sucked. All right. Yeah. It's good to be sober. I couldn't have said it better myself, but I want to know how we got here. So I asked Morgan to take me back to the period in her life when she realized a change was necessary a time that has proven to fuel so much of her songwriting. It was several different things that kind of like led up to it. I remember first time I realized, all right, you got to get it together. You know, my boyfriend woke me up. I was face down in a parking lot. I had, you know, the thing was me was I could drink a lot and kind of hide it, you know, and, and seem like, oh, no, I only had a, I would kind of do it to look like I had the same drink in my hand all night. Um, which was most definitely not the case. I remember telling them, I was like, oh, I'm leaving. And uh, everyone thought I was fine. I was completely not okay. And, and you know, I remember him waking me up. I was like, set face down in the parking lot. He just said, what are you, what are you doing? You know, and I'm lucky. I'm really lucky that I was okay. And I don't think I drank for like a month after that. And uh, I was, you know, I was proud of that month, but it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to give up alcohol. It was just like, I want to take a break kind of thing. And then I started drinking again and I went to New York. And as soon as we got out of the car in New York, I just started drinking and we drank and drank and drank. And I drank more that night than I think I've ever had my whole entire life. And uh, I woke up the next morning, 
you know, no idea what went on the night before. Couldn't find my wallet, couldn't find my phone. You know, it was just, and I just had this weird feeling. I, you know, I've always suffered with depression, but this was just like, this was heavier than that. Just felt extremely odd. And uh, we went to get breakfast and we've gotten like some mimosas or something. And I, I was like, nah, I can't. Ugh. Yeah, just alcohol. It just tasted weird. It just tasted different to me. And uh, that night we were in Penn Station and uh, I was like, hey, can somebody get me a drink? And my boyfriend comes back with a beer. And I remember I took one sip of that and I was like, this, like, it just, it didn't taste right. And uh, I was like, no, nah, I want a water. I remember I just started drinking water that night and I was like, you know what, I'm not going to drink anymore. And I think for like two weeks after I got home, I just, that feeling never left me. It was just like this heavy, weird, if you continue to mess around, how you've been messing around with alcohol, you're not going to live through that. You know, something's going to happen. And and that, that feeling did not, like I said, for like two weeks straight, I felt that way. I was just, I was like, all right, I'm never going to drink again. Like I'm done think everybody was like okay you had a really bad hangover you're not gonna drink for a couple weeks and uh it's been almost four years and you know I'm glad that I got that feeling to me you know it was it was kind of a blessing because it was like the a weird kind of you know it was like I was dissociated you know just kind of watching myself from the outside with how that went on I, I hope that if I ever you know get that strong urge to drink again that I have that same sinking feeling and I don't do it you know In a way, I love this story because it perfectly encapsulates one of the most common forms of addiction. Morgan's drinking isn't destroying her life in the most common sense. She's still able to maintain relationships and she's still working at this point in her life, but it is causing her pain in in more ways than one. And she comes to a point where she realizes she has to make a change. And thankfully, she makes the right choice. And I was curious who she talked to about it. You know, that's a very vulnerable moment in our lives when we decide that we cannot continue being the person that we are. And who we speak to can play a very big role in whether or not we commit to our decision to change. And this was Morgan's experience. Texted, I remember texting my mom and my grandma and my aunt. We we had this little group message. I remember I just texted them and I was like, I'm not going to drink anymore. And it's sad. It's sad when you, you know, you get a message back and they're like, oh, thank, thank God. Or that's great. You know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that shows like they had picked up on it. They've been very supportive. You know, my friends have been super supportive, fortunately. I didn't really lose any friends out of that you know there's a few that I I don't talk to anymore just because you know that going and drinking and hanging out in bars is is their lifestyle and and that's fine not judging them you know it's just not I, it's not something I can do but you know I don't really feel like I left anybody out of my life I didn't have to do that so that's that's a really good thing while this is good news Morgan also realized that sometimes her least supportive friends were not the most vocal if anybody wasn't believing that I was going to get sober they didn't tell me that which is good I didn't have anybody being like "Mm, okay you know everyone's just like oh okay but it's kind of one of those things if if I really want to do something I'll do it and I think that's how it was with sobriety no one could if everyone would have told me you need to get sober I wouldn't have wanted to have done it. It came down to doing it for myself and knowing that I needed to. That was finally the the realization that I needed. Let's be clear. Shame is never a great motivator for change. The best way for anyone to get clean is to come to the realization that they need to make a change and to commit to that change themselves. External influence will only get you so far. For the change to happen and stick, you have to make that choice yourself. 
You have to figure out what is right for you. I'm, I mean, I'm going to be honest, you know, obviously those first couple of months were pretty rough. And I, that's when I discovered sparkling water. And that was like, you know, which I think a lot of sober people do. Um, I was just like, okay, like what's something that I can have at my shows to have, you know, kind of right there, like standing there with other people. And so I discovered Topo Chico and uh, that became like my go-to. So far has not let me down. I have about 12 cases at the house right now <laughs> because it's like everybody that I know that's sober drink Topo Chico or, you know, at least LaCroix or something. It's, it's sparkling water. And, you know, I'm sitting there staying super hydrated and feeling like, you know, I'm having a good time and I wake up feeling great the next morning. Many people in recovery spend the rest of their life fighting cravings, but Morgan is one of the lucky few who seems to have overcome them. In fact, it's been so long that she doesn't really remember the day that they stopped occurring. I don't remember. And I, I think that I know, honestly, I would say it, it took me a good solid year to really get in the routine of that. But I think I'm fortunate that when I did get sober, I was playing more weekend shows. I wasn't touring full time or anything like that. And that's good because I think that slowly doing that and getting sober prepared me for, you know, what I'm doing now. Um, I can't imagine drinking every night and then, you know, heading to the next town or being on a plane or doing any of that. So I, I'm not entirely sure. I think it just, you know, one day I did just wake up and, and I was, you know, it, it didn't even cross my mind anymore. Though she may be free and clear today, Morgan still remembers that first drink that set her on the course to addiction. Yeah, I do remember my first drink. Uh, and this was before there was ever like any, uh, any issue. I think I was like 15. I went to a house, someone's house with my friends and it was just a dinner party and it wasn't anything like a party party. They thought I was older than what I was and poured me a glass of wine and uh, I didn't want to be rude. <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah. I remember chugging that, that, but it was disgusting. I hated it. I remember getting a really gnarly buzz off of that. And I, I mean, I, I was like 95 pounds. I was very small all throughout high school and it was, it was disgusting. And that was my first drink. And I remember after that, I was like, well, I'll never drink anything. I'm never going to. And then, yeah, I turned 19, uh, you know, I was 19. I guess it was like my freshman year of college and all my friends drank. And uh, that's, that's when I, I started. It is almost impossible to overstate the influence of drinking as a cultural norm on our actions as individuals. We are raised our entire lives to believe that drinking is something that people do, whether they're celebrating or going through a tough time. Look at what happened to Morgan. She was not interested in alcohol until she found herself in a social situation where she wanted to fit in. And as anyone who's been to college will tell you, if you're not going to drink, it can be hard to fit in. Where I lived, my apartment like building that I was in was, was really nice when I was going to college. And there was a bar in, in the lobby. So, you know, it wasn't like I was far away from that. It may surprise you to learn that most of Morgan's drinking happened before she was 21. And when that birthday came, her behavior began to escalate. Yeah, I remember my, my uh, 21st birthday. There was like nowhere I could go and be like, hey, I just turned 21. Because everyone would have been like, what? You know, you've been drinking in here for like three years. So I remember I, I did find this like one like random place restaurant that I'd never been to. And I went, weirdly enough, sat by myself during lunch that day. 
and drink. But God, yeah, it's it's crazy that I got sober at twenty two, like that mm. that young, you know, to look back and be like, man, I already had a I had a problem. It's important to remember that while Morgan is going through this, she's also trying to establish herself as a musician. As she explains here, the star you see today doesn't really resemble where she was in her life and career when all this was unfolding. When I got sober, this the show I played in New York was, oh man, I think we went up there and I, I wasn't making, I think I made 40 bucks, something like that, I'm wanting to say, but they gave us free beer tickets. I do remember that much. And it, yeah, it wasn't, I look back though at how excited I was just to have the opportunity to play mm-hmm. music and, you know, travel. And I hope that I always look at music that way with excitement. But my career, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't what you see now. It wasn't anywhere close to what my career is now. It, uh, But I, I think I needed those times, you know, to, to pay my dues and to struggle. And that was the perfect time for me to get sober because I just wasn't ready. If I would have been handed the opportunities then that I have now, I, I would have ruined them. It almost feels serendipitous that Morgan would choose to get sober right before her career started taking off. And when that happened, she encountered an entirely new set of problems. Wherever she went, city to city, there were venues and fans willing to give her free alcohol on demand at any time. And the temptation to use may have been high, but Morgan understood that she needed to find other ways to use her time. She had to stay busy. So this is what happened. Yeah, that was that was a big question for me. And I look back and I, I kind of have to snicker at it a little bit because I'm like, you're, my creativity went up. I mean, like, obviously... I'm not drinking, so I'm remembering things better. I'm taking the time to observe my surroundings. And, you know, instead of going, you know, before a show, going and sitting at a bar, I'll go sit at a coffee shop or something like that. And I'm much more creative in that atmosphere than I'll ever be, you know, in a bar or anything like that. So I was nervous about my creativity, but fortunately, things just got better. And, you know, I I was able to focus more. But it wasn't just her creativity that began to improve. Other aspects of Morgan's life got better as well. Absolutely, because I, 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 the choices, you know, that I made to lead me here, I, I don't think I, no, I, I wouldn't be able to, to keep up with things. I don't think that, it, you know, it's, it's hard to explain, but obviously, you know, getting sober changed me so much as a person. And even like the songs that I wrote, everything like that, you know, that, that helped lead me to where I am right now, I wouldn't have written if I was still drinking. We make it a point to ask every guest about their temptations and cravings in recovery. Morgan talked about this briefly earlier, but I wanted to revisit it once more to see if it jogged her memory. And surprisingly, it did. It was, a honestly, I think maybe like six months ago, something like that. You know, I just, yeah, screw it, man. You know, I, I really, for some reason, was struggling to process my emotions. And obviously, in my brain, I'm like, well, you should drink. You know, we should just, instead of talking about things and figuring out what's causing you to feel the way you are, let's just suppress those even more. And I I drove to the, I was at the grocery store and I was just like, man, I I can't get out of the car. You know, don't, don't, don't get out of the car. And uh, I have a friend and actually I called her and she was like, you don't want to do it. She's like, you don't want to do it. She's sober as well. And and, uh, it was, it was really good. But sometimes your people aren't there for you and your fans just want to have a drink. My shows have 
people will be like, hey, you want to get a drink? I'm like, man, y'all, y'all must not really listen to my music <laughs> or the speech that I gave about being sober. You know? <laughs> uh, you know, but those those never tempt me. Um, it's always just like, no, no, nah, I'm good. I, I'm sober. I don't drink. So fortunately, no one, you know, I have in my, my circle around me, they would all knock a drink out of my hand if they saw it. So I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate in that aspect. For the people that do pay attention to Morgan's music and listen to her speeches on stage and enjoy this episode, she's become something of a symbol for what you can accomplish when you quit drinking which means that people come up to Morgan and undoubtedly ask her for advice. Now, we don't believe in giving advice on this show because we don't believe we can properly give advice without fully understanding someone in their situation, which is impossible in this format. But we do believe in making suggestions. So when fans and other people talk to Morgan about her experiences and ask for help, this is what Morgan replies. For me, you know, I think obviously everything's different. You know, some people thrive with, with things such as AA. I never actually, I didn't go to AA. You know, it wasn't really for me. Um, I have a lot of friends heavy into AA and they love it. You know, it saved their lives. My thing is, is I, I suggest that you find someone that you can talk to, you know, that believes in you and is going to support you and really look at the people that you're hanging around and that you have in your life. And the, the biggest thing, you know, obviously the one day at a time, and I think it said so much that, that we were like, Oh God, that's so cliche, but it's so true. If you really sit down, you know, and think about it and, and just know that if you try and you, and you fail, you know, you got to get back up and try again. And it's, it's okay. Um, I mean, you're, you're undoing something in your brain. You know, you're trying to rewire yourself and live a different life than you're used to living. So not beating yourself up is a really big thing. And just understanding that, yeah, I made some mistakes, but I, I can do a lot better than this. And, I, I, and another big thing for me is reading a lot about sobriety and you know, listening to the podcast and just surrounding myself with, with better, healthier activities, getting into the gym and, and just, just trying to overall be healthy. That's, that's my biggest suggestion. Morgan's songwriting may help save someone's life, but for Morgan, it's other artists who she turns to when she needs help. Yeah, as far as books go, Russell Brand's book, Recovery, I love mm. that book. And that's a book that if you're not, you know, any kind of recovery, whether it's alcohol addiction, drug addiction, social media addiction, you know, being addicted to to a person, you know, that book just covers so many different things. And uh, I really admire Russell Brand and everything that he's done to, to get sober and remain sober. You know... It's easy to make a joke about every country song being about getting drunk and getting over a broken heart. But in the case of Morgan, she's doing something different. And it comes at a time where not just the genre, but music as a whole needs different voices. We need to hear other journeys and other experiences. And Morgan's grappling with alcoholism and how it has impacted not just her songwriting, but every aspect of her life is a riveting story that I cannot wait to see continue to unfold in the years to come. If you or someone you know is struggling, please get help. The entire High Notes team is here for you, and we can point you towards resources that will get you and the people that you love on the path to recovery. High Notes is presented by Holix.com. I'm your host, James Shotwell. The show is edited by Laura Hardy with additional marketing help from Liam Delmonico. 
Our theme was made by the band Yumi and Everyone We Know, and our logo was designed by the great Nick Farron. We have more conversations on the way, but for now, you can stream every episode of this show on YouTube and your favorite podcast platform. We thank you so much for your support and ask that if you do nothing else with your day, please take care of yourself because you deserve it.